Welcome to the Take the Cake podcast. I am your host, Kate Noel, and I am so happy you're here. My mission is to inspire you to be the best version of yourself by truly honoring what your mind, body, and soul want and need. Here, we talk about everything and anything, wellness, recovery, lifestyle stuff, lots more. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Take the Cake podcast, or welcome if this is your first time tuning in. My name is Kate Noel, and I am doing a solo episode today. Today's episode is going to be a classic Q&A. I just asked on my Instagram some in-depth questions that y'all wanted answered, and I like to do these every once in a while because... Um, you have amazing questions usually, and it's nice to just mix it up. So I have about seven questions here, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but I'm hoping my intention is to go deep, deep into these questions and kind of really dive in, so to speak, because they're big questions and they're big topics and they could all have their own episode in itself but um, I'll try and keep it digestible and easy to understand for the Q&A purposes. I wanted to just take this moment to thank everyone for subscribing, for rating, for reviewing. It is the most amazing way that you can support this podcast. It helps me out a lot and they really are so special to me. Uh, just getting those reviews and hearing your feedback. I also have a Instagram dedicated to this podcast. And side note, I'll, I'll, well, let me just finish by saying, I also have an Instagram dedicated to Take the Cake, and that is at Take the Cake Pod on Instagram. I also have been really loving TikTok, which is funny because I feel like I've thrown some shade at TikTok in the past on this podcast, but I'm retracting the shade if that's possible, or at least my opinions have changed and I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying making content. It feels like a really fun way for me just to be creative and make content. Whereas Instagram reels feel a little more structured So TikTok is funny because I'll just go on the app and I'll just like scroll until I feel inspired or I'll think of an idea randomly and I just like write it in my phone and it's so much easier and quicker to make than the real ideas I have where the real, like the Instagram reels are more in-depth and uh, intentional, whereas TikTok, I feel like I'm just kind of like, I'm just going to make it and kind of more live in the moment. So if you're on TikTok, give me a follow. My handle is at Kate Noel with one underscore. I think that's the one. I, th- I have two TikToks. One of them is more of a personal account, but I leave it private because I like don't really have any videos anyways. And I just use that account for all of my, like to save my algorithm, which is primarily animals and just hilarious people. And I just love my saved videos so much. Sometimes I watch them back when I'm feeling low and I just am crying on the floor laughing. TikTok has given me so much laughter and joy. People are so funny in this world and there's just the funniest situations happen 
I don't know. I love it. Honestly, I appreciate it. It's brought me joy. So I'm sorry for throwing shade at you, TikTok. Anyways, that was a long tangent. I am going to start off with the questions. Let's go. Question number one is how do I let go of the impossible standards I set for myself and my body? Great question. You are smart because you know that these standards you are setting for yourself are impossible. So having that awareness is huge. Self-compassion. That is, that's the word, words. Those are the words that we're going to be thinking about. Self-compassion. There is absolutely, I would argue that your baseline is self-compassion, but it gets hard when we have all of these standards that are either given to us sometime in our lives, childhood, school, from parents, from media, we start to manifest these standards and our inner critic gets very loud and it kind of feels maybe like your baseline, the way you treat yourself and the way you think of yourself is critical. And where I would say, what I would say to that is I actually don't know if that's true. I think that that's straight away from your baseline. And I think your baseline is self-compassion. So we can work on getting back to the mindset and the frame of mind of actually having compassion for ourselves. So the first step, in my opinion, is to recognize when your inner critic is taking over, when your inner critic is dominating your thoughts and... I personally like to name this inner critic and call it like my bully. And when I feel like I'm just bashing myself and I'm really being mean to myself, which I think setting impossible standards kind of is because you're setting yourself up for failure, right? And that is a very mean thing. You would never do that to somebody in your life, right? So unless you really were mad at them and really wanted to prove a point to them, but it's a trap. So I like to really say like it is, this is like I'm being a bully to myself. This is my inner bully coming out. And I think we're just really used to reacting to this critical voice with defensiveness instead of like genuinely responding. A book that I really recommend that I have a lot of my sort of ideas around self-compassion on is called Self-Compassion. It's by Kristen Neff. So check it out if you're interested. But um, she has her own more in-depth approach, but I'm just going to give you sort of my take from her approach and it's a little more simple, but I recommend just starting to respond to that inner critic, to those impossible standards. So let's say you wake up and you're just like, I need to do this, 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 and this, and this today. And if it feels draining, if it's a lot, if it almost feels impossible, if you even feel like you can recognize that it feels impossible, uh, or you know, if you just want your body to look like someone else's body and you just set these standards for yourself, you go to the gym and you eat a certain way and you're still not able to get so-and-so's body, like that's an impossible standard, you know? If you find yourself feeling that way, recognize it and respond to it instead of being defensive. What I mean by that, let's say you're like, I really don't want to 
go to the gym today because I'm tired, but I really want to have this person's body. So I'm going to go to the gym anyways, and I'm going to, you know, be tired through it and not really feel good about it. I would argue that that's an impossible standard. And let's say you have this thought of, I should go to the gym. I shouldn't go to the gym. I think in the past for me, what looked like reacting would have been uh, being upset, being emotionally charged and saying, you should do this or you shouldn't do that. And kind of shooting myself and going back and forth between uh, just being emotionally charged, I would say, whereas genuinely responding would be taking that self-compassionate voice and actually having a response and taking a second to say, what do I actually need in this moment? Um, I don't, I'm tired. I really don't have the energy to go to the gym. And my body is my body and it's never going to look exactly like somebody else's. So that's an example. And I kind of like the approach with, especially with recovery of going back and forth. And if you're one of my clients, um, you have probably heard me do this and ask this of you, but Really, like, especially if it's like a clear eating disorder thought or even just inner critic thought. Once you have that thought, reply with your compassionate voice. Write it down. Write that thought down and then have a reply that's compassionate. Um, And you can actually keep going and kind of have a full-blown conversation with your inner critic, impossible standards, eating disorder voice versus or and your self-compassionate voice. Let's give an example of that. So um, I'm trying to think of an example that was true in my life that I worked through. Um, an impossible standard I used to have for myself was I my, my tummy cannot stick out at all. That was the impossible standard. I just, I could not stand. I did not want my tummy to stick out at all. So I would say to myself, like, you shouldn't, you know, you should do X, Y, and Z to ensure your stomach doesn't stick out or, you know, shame on you that your stomach is sticking out. So the dialogue that I could have with myself would be, this is my impossible standard slash eating disorder voice talking. You shouldn't eat breakfast because your stomach is going to stick out. My self-compassionate response would be something like, everyone's stomach sticks out and it's okay to eat breakfast. Maybe with that, my inner critic slash eating disorder self would say something like, well, you know, this model, her stomach didn't look like it stuck out. And so you don't have to eat and you shouldn't, you know, you should look more like her. My self-compassionate voice could respond by saying, I can never be like that model. And I have no idea what that model is going through and if she's suffering or not. And I don't want to suffer my whole life. Maybe my inner critic would say to that, you've already suffered for so long. Might as well just keep suffering. And my self-compassionate response could be, I don't want to suffer anymore. And my suffering is valid. And I have the strength to keep going and keep fighting it. Basically, you go and you go and you have this back and forth conversation. You can write it down. You can have it in your head. You can write it in your phone notes. 
until you come to a conclusion where you feel some sense of peace. And you don't have to believe every single thing you're writing down for the compassionate response, but I want you to really dig and find that language within you and find that presence within you. And the idea is that bringing awareness, right? So like the more we do this, the more we stop reacting to these impossible standards and these voices in our heads, the more we actually can practice and implement this self-compassionate voice, which eventually will be our sort of back to baseline where we are and how we talk to ourselves. So just challenging the inner critic and challenging that part of you, challenging the eating disorder voice that is so prevalent in your life is a huge step. So that's one tool, one thing you can do. Another thing I do with many of my clients, again, if you're one of my clients, you know, you might have heard this a few times, but uh, another thing I like to do is have my clients or even for my own life, create affirmations for, you know, myself or create affirmations for yourself that are specific to your journey right now. And I think that with affirmations, it can be kind of like, eh. I mean, at least this is my, sometimes they kind of feel eh, because it's like, it's so big, right? Like affirmations like, I am abundantly loving and worthy, which are beautiful affirmations. I'm just saying some of them feel really, really big. In my experience, affirmations are really work well in recovery, especially, or for just like getting out of like the body um, image trap where you're setting impossible standards would be creating more specific affirmations to your journey right now. So an affirmation you could say to yourself would be, and I like to use my name sometimes even, so I would say, Kate, you deserve to eat breakfast, to live the life that you want to live. Maybe even, Kate, you have to eat breakfast to live the life you want to live. Maybe another one would be, Kate, no one's stomach is absolutely flat. So, that's another tool that you can use to really just get that self-compassionate reply back into your life. And you could say that to yourself a few times, close your eyes, you know, touch your body, um, not necessarily in a sexual way, but like put your hand to your heart and just really feel that ruminating inside of you. You could also say affirmations in the mirror, connecting with your eyes could be another option if that feels supportive to you. Another thing I want to say about letting go of impossible standards is setting boundaries for yourself when you recognize what sets you off. So let's say um, it's you're finding it very hard to continue like on the recovery track or you're finding it hard or finding it triggering to be around a certain person because they're saying stuff about your tummy and going back to the breakfast and tummy thing. Like, for example, I had to set a boundary with my modeling and I had to take a break from modeling while I was in recovery because it was really hard for me to find compassion for myself and to not set the impossible standards because other people were commenting on my body and on my food choices in a way that wasn't supportive for me. So setting boundaries on your triggers is another really good thing. And just recognizing that recovery is temporary, so you will eventually be able to 
integrate back into like your quote normal life and like whatever that looks like for you. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about this is body neutrality. So finding body neutrality, where and how can you just exist in your body? You know, we spend probably if you're listening to this years and years and years expecting our bodies to do a certain thing and look a certain way. And I think you would agree with me when you say it is so exhausting. Where and how can you just exist in your body for this time of recovery, just letting your body exist, just having a body? Having a body is not easy. Like no one says that, I think, but it's not easy to have a body. Bodies need so much from us. And then on top of that, we have all these expectations from ourselves and from other people. And they just, it's just hard to have a body. So finding body neutrality and just letting go of of fixating on your body, which I know is hard, but taking some time to just try out the experience of just having a body and letting it just be a body, whatever that means for you. Okay, that was the first uh, answer to the first question. I hope that was helpful. Second question is, describe the feeling of recovery as if it were a place. Mm, Thank you to whoever asked this. Really appreciate it. Such a cool question. I'm going to, hopefully maybe you can visualize this with me. So for me, eating disorder felt like I was in the circus. That's what it's coming to mind. I don't know why. It felt like I was in the circus and everyone around me was cheering me on and I was like doing all these tricks and I was like maybe kind of being harmed, you know, like how the animals and elephants are and stuff. Like that's how I felt. I felt like I was kind of in the circus and I was performing and I was performing and I was doing all these things and I was felt like I just had to keep going and there was like scary clowns there, you know, the scary recovery stuff, quirky things, quirky people, you know, the types of people you see at the circus. And um, this is kind of weird, but stick with me. Recovery, on the other hand, it also felt like I was in the circus, but it felt like I was all alone and nobody was watching me and I was walking on the tightrope. That's what it felt like. It felt like I was walking on a tightrope and nobody was there to see me. I felt like I was walking on no ground, ungrounded. I, I felt very ungrounded. Obviously, my recovery changed as I like continued on. But it felt like I was walking on this really thin tightrope and nobody nobody saw it. Well, obviously, people did see it because I posted on YouTube. I'm talking about like the very beginning of my journey. And then, but the, I think the thing about recovery that's different and why it feels like a tightrope is that there is an end to recovery, right? There's no end to eating disorders. They don't have a destination. Recovery does have a destination. Um, some people would say, you know, some people don't really ascribe to full recovery. I personally do, but I think either way is is very valid. But I do believe that recovery leads you somewhere, whereas the eating disorder does not, regardless of if you believe in full recovery or not. So the tightrope, I, I know sometimes I'd fall off. I have to get back up. And like, I didn't want to go back into like backwards because backwards was the circus where I just felt like not it wasn't very good. 
and I feel like the tightrope had an exit at the end of it, right? So, and it, it and it got easier, and I got better at it, and and the tightrope got bigger and bigger, and all of a sudden I was walking. Well, not all of a sudden. It took me a while, if I'm being honest, but I slowly kept walking and kept taking one step at a time, one day at a time, one meal at a time, one whatever at a time until all that work led me to a bigger tightrope. And then it was a wider tightrope. Then it was a wider tightrope. And all of a sudden I was walking on planks, right? I'm walking on planks now, scaffolding, if you wish. And then all of a sudden I'm walking out the door and I'm walking on earth. So I think for me, it was a slow feeling of becoming grounded again and not, you know, recovery does feel like you're kind of just jumping off a cliff and then you're just like, what's going to catch me down there? I don't know. (laughs) So yeah, if you're in recovery, keep going is very, very worth the the struggles. Um, and I fully believe in you. So that was my answer. I hope that wasn't so weird and creepy, uh, that, you stopped listening. So if you're continuing to listen, thank you. <laughs> um, so next question is someone said motivation to follow a meal plan, struggling with motivation because of the fear of weight gain. I wanted to include this because this is a common thing for your weight gain. So something that I would love for you to do is journal about your fears and anxieties around weight gain why are you afraid? And I, and I want you to go deeper than I'm afraid. I'm not going to like how I look. I want it to go beyond the looks if possible. I really want you to like visualize like what will happen if you gain weight in areas of your life that in all areas of your life, what will happen to your relationships? What will happen to your career? What will happen to your spirituality? What will happen to your sexuality? What will happen to, I don't know, your health? So there's obviously other areas that you can think of, social life. And I just want you to, t- to, to journal about why you're afraid, what's really going to happen. And then I want you to see, you know, where your fears are. And then you can go even deeper and ask yourself, are these fears exaggerated? How do I know this will happen? Is there any wiggle room for something else to happen? What, you know, what percentage of, of this scenario will happen versus something else? So that's something I recommend doing. And I think most of the time we kind of have more so the fear of the unknown rather than the fear of waking. Self-confidence is often associated with thinness in a lot of my clients and in, in my life it used to be. And, but self-confidence is not innately thinness. Especially for me, it wasn't. Self-deprecation and harming myself was associated with thinness, really. So I would ask myself, you know, and ask my clients, what do you actually want to feel? You know, what do you actually want to feel in life? You know, what do you want to, do you want to feel confident? Do you want to feel sexy? 
Do you want to feel brave? And I guarantee all of those things that you want, those feelings that you want, you will be able to do in a larger body. People have shown, have proven that. If you go online and follow recovered influencers, they are happy and successful. This is a generalization. I don't know if they're all happy. don't think they all are happy, but like they are, it's good to, you know, see the body positive movement and to just see people experiencing freedom and success and joy and confidence in their bodies that they naturally have. So I would just ask like, what do you want to feel and what do you want to do in your life? And how can you make that happen regardless of your body size? So as far as motivation to follow a meal plan, I would say like examine those fears of weight gain. You know, if that's, if that's your motivation, if that's what's not motivating you, it's really time to dig deep and ask yourself why. Um, and then I think the motivation to have the meal plan will, will probably follow. I imagine that you haven't stepped into the unknown long enough to feel life affirming you. And life is really amazing in this way where in recovery, we often have to I, some people call it over, if you have to, if you have, if your body is changes in recovery, which it doesn't have to, to, to have an eating disorder and to have recovery, but sometimes it does. And it sounds like it does for you. Life is interesting in this way where you will be affirmed in your recovery, but it doesn't happen right when you want it to. It usually happens after we've gained the weight we feel like we don't even recognize ourselves or we just feel like the body that we have isn't ours anymore and we're still just feeling un unsafe in our bodies and maybe not at home in our bodies. And life will affirm you. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Um, I hope that gives you some motivation as well. Okay. Question four is says, I'm in recovery, but I'm struggling to deal with friends triggering comments. Okay. <sighs> Boundaries here. Boundaries is key. This can look like a lot of stuff, but I would say setting boundaries with your friends is very important. I think that something I don't find a lot of recovery communities talk about is that you kind of almost, depending on where you're at with your recovery, at least for me, I had to put my life on hold to pursue recovery. Meaning like I didn't really see a lot of my friends for some of the time, not all of the time, but some of the time. And I took a break from work and I really kind of had to put a pause on my life. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think a lot of us think that's a bad thing and that's a forever thing, but a reframe that I want to challenge you with is that that can be a very positive thing actually, where you are actually just taking the time you need to re-energize yourself and kind of get rooted back into reality and become a better person so that you can show up for your life like you've never have before. Instead of having the stale eating disorder energy, this competitive energy that kind of takes over. 
Um, a DBT skill that I really love is a, called Dear Man. And you can look it up. It's just D, it's an acronym, Dear Man. And it's very helpful to confront people and kind of get what you want out of a situation in a way that's respectful and kind. And so that's something I would recommend looking up. If you are in a situation when where you're in a situation and you don't have a boundary set, there are ways to respond that I think are really helpful. Um, like let's say your friend triggers you by saying something like, are you going to eat that? Or like, I can't believe you can eat all of that. You can respond with a vague and neutral comment that can't be argued with. Something like, well, I know it's best for me. Or, yep, I am. I got this. Or, my body, my business. Or like, yep, thank goodness I have a choice in life. Or, this is none of your business. <laughs> Which sounds so intense, but it is true. So responding with something like that, you know, I'm good, I got this. That really can't be argued with unless they really want to argue with you on I know what's best for me, which maybe you should reconsider your friendship. Um, another thing you can do is just ignore it or change the subject. So you can just ignore it if you have that empowerment within you and just remember that anytime anyone's saying something about our choices, it's tip like especially food and body choices, it's typically a projection of their own insecurity. So recognizing that they just don't feel good in their own life with food and body, ignoring it, changing the subject. How's your family? How's your relationship? People love talking about themselves. So just retract back onto them. Even further, this is a stretch. Even further. You could say, I want, like, you could kind of point it back at them and say, why does it bother you or why does it impact you what I'm eating? You know, why does what I'm eating impact you or the way I'm eating it? Interesting approach as well. You can try that. Who knows? Maybe that will bring you closer because your friend will say, well, I'm struggling too. And you'll say, me too. And you'll say, let's stop talking about our food and body and let's have a little bit more freedom in, in our life, you know? Um, those are my tips on dealing with triggering friend comments. At the end of the day, if your friend is not giving you, um, it's not a mutual relationship and you're feeling very triggered, I would just say, re-examine your friendship. And a part of life is having certain people in your life at certain times, I'd say, even though that's hard. Okay. I think I'm going to answer one more question and have to do a part two. The next question is how to stop feeling triggered from old photos. I like this question. Our memories work in a really beautiful way. We actually like capture photos or visions in our minds and our memories decide what to hold on to. But obviously with photos, we're like instantly taken back and we're not necessarily giving our brains a chance to decide for themselves if they want to hold on to that memory or not. And we are emotional, right? And we feel emotions when we see these photos. And it makes sense that 
while we're processing our eating and food and body challenges, we do feel triggered by a photo because when we look at the photo, we are all of a sudden in what's called the observer's view instead of what's called the field view. Field view is when you're actually in the moment and you're in your own body and the photo is taken. Whereas observer's view is when you're looking at it outside of your outside of the moment and you're looking at it as a picture in field view you can feel and you do feel what's actually going on around you there's a lot of details that are there that aren't there with the picture so we can't like fixate on the visuals like we we can fixate on the visuals of an image rather than any of the millions of other sensations that actually occurred during that specific moment, during that memory. So, you know, why were you in that photo? What was going on? Was What was the weather like? Like, where were you? Were you inside, outside? Who are you with? How is the lighting? How are the angles? You know, having self-compassion for yourself here is really important as well. You have been doing your best in life. I would say you've been doing your best. So looking back at old photos, you were doing your best. And I think like, you know, if you look back at an old photo and let's say you like your body better, what else was going on? What were you feeling that day? Were you feeling a temporary high from engaging in behaviors? Were you really sad that day because you were distracted by your eating disorder? Were you hungry all day? Were you stressed? Did you feel anxious? What what were the sensations going on, you know? Give give yourself some context. Same as if you look at a picture and you don't like your body and you're like, "Ugh. What was going on?" I'm sure you were doing your best. You were probably feeling maybe all those other things I just had mentioned. So, I think trying to get back into field view and develop compassion for yourself, you know, what was really happening. Also, is the shame you're feeling, if it is shame, or whatever you're feeling, guilt, shame, anxiety, depression, is it yours? Is it truly yours? Uh, Or is it someone else's that you're taking on? Another thing I would say is just setting boundaries from this, not looking at the old pictures, getting those out of your life for now. Um, you could put them on like a folder in a folder or something that you can't access, have someone, you know, come over and and put them on a flash drive if you really want to keep them. But if you've got photos that are very much associated with your eating disorder, it's not, I don't think it's supportive for you to hold on to those pictures. If they have sentimental value, like I said, maybe have somebody come over and like put them on a password protected flash drive or have them take the flash drive. I don't know, something like that. But I would say getting out of that headspace of even being able to like look at them would be very beneficial. I think those are the questions for now I'm going to answer. I mean, yes, those are the questions for now I'm going to answer. I appreciate all of you so much for asking these amazing questions Uh, Let me know if you want me to do part two, because I do have a lot of other questions that were asked. And um, let me know if you like these Q&As and if you find them helpful. I really appreciate all of you 
so, so much. Like I said, I would love a rating and a review if you liked it. Or if you didn't, if you didn't, you can leave me a, a, a whatever rating you feel is appropriate. Um, but thank you for listening, for tuning in. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. And I will see you on the next episode of Take the Cake. Bye.